And I, I want to let you know that this coming Wednesday night is going to be a little bit different type of praise and prayer. Uh, we did get, uh, I should have brought one with me, but we did get the postcards. And by postcards, I mean they're really the evangelistic postcards. They're four by six. Uh, we were able to get an absolutely phenomenal deal with a printing company online. We got them this week. And it's the one that has the evangelistic Got Hope on the front and then on the back something about the church. And this Wednesday, I'm going to take an hour and we're, I'm just going to train all of you. So I'm going to encourage you, please, if, if you can possibly be there, be there. But there's going to be an hour of training. And I'm going to just, I'm going to walk you through how you, as you are going door to door. Notice how I'm saying that you are going door to door, okay? Great. Anyway, you will be doing this, right? Woohoo! And you may be scared, but that's okay. You're going to be going with somebody who might not be quite as scared as you, but they may be, but you're going to get used to this. But we're doing this because you, you, you know that even as we sacrifice and pour into God's kingdom, there is awesome reward. Um, so I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to be afraid of this, but I want you, over this hour of training, I want you to feel comfortable. You may do this just one time, and I'm going to ask and beg and plead and pray that all of us do it at least one time. And some of you, especially the evangelism team, is going to be doing this on a more regular basis. And remember, those of you who uh, speak Spanish as a first language and English is more your second language, I'm going to encourage you, please, let's reach this neighborhood that's right behind Wicklow Elementary. There's a lot of people um, from a, a, that are of a minority, and we really want to be able to reach that neighborhood as well as the others. But I'm going to be sharing more with you this coming Wednesday, and I'm going to also encourage you... Think about this summer because this is something that we're going to be doing every single weekend. Um, the evangelism team is going to be going out. In addition to that, uh, we're going to be pulling together a strategy so that you can take someone with you. And it doesn't have to be at that set time. Some of you have Tuesday nights that are better available from like 4 to 6 or 5 to 7. And that's going to fit your schedule better. Uh, but we're going to talk more about that this Wednesday. I want you to know this is something uh, all of us can do this. Because as God calls us to this community, he is wanting us to really bear in our heart a burden for those communities that are around us. And tonight as I, I, I preach, God has laid on my heart, burdened my heart, if you will, this concept of burdened prayer. What does that even look like? What, 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 what scriptures are we going to look at? What, how do we walk this out? Burdened prayer. And many of you, or some people call it travailing prayer. But some of you ex have experienced this. My goal, I, my prayer, my burdened prayer, is that all of us experience what it is to have the Spirit burden our hearts in prayer. Um, I also want to, to mention that this past week, the church finally got its permit for the build-out that we're about to do. And we're excited about this. Uh, they're going to be starting it this coming week. It's probably going to take, I would say, about three weeks. And as soon as they are done, we are jumping in. And we've got, as a church, we, we have a lot to do. We've got building the stage, building the sound booth. We've got painting more in the sanctuary. Hopefully by that time, the painting of the rest of the building will be done. And then we're going to have to tackle the nursery because we've got a wall coming down. We're going to paint that, get it ready. And we've got some really, uh, I believe, cool ideas that are coming to be able to, to do the nursery. And we're, we, we've got to lay the carpet. So these, these types of things are time consuming. So pray that we're able to do this quickly, that things move along quickly. But in the process, 
We want to be out there inviting people. And as God leads us by his spirit, sharing Christ with them. That is our purpose. That is our purpose for being there, is to reach these lost people. And it's not just for us to be built up. That is important. We want to reach the lost. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. All right, we'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be starting with verse 12. Just this past week, uh, I got some exciting news from Josh Nolet. Uh, we have been praying for Josh that God would bless him with a job. Uh, I've been praying for Jimmy. A number of in our family have been praying for Jimmy. And, and the Lord opened a door for him to be able to get a job at Publix. And so Josh had some, an opportunity at uh, this company down the road arose for him. But as, he was, as they informed him, it was uh, opportunity, I think, between two shifts. And it's like neither of these shifts were going to work out. He said, Pastor Mike, I would end up having to miss like certain services. And, and I'm not sure if, if, if that's what God really is wanting me to do. And I said, Josh, look, you're a young guy. Learn right now, when you seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. And I'm just going to ask you, can you trust him for this? Can you trust him for a job? If God is closing down that door, and you thought it was the only one, if God's going to close that door, if you step out in faith, and if, if you say, no, I'm not going to be able to do this, are you going to trust God for another job? And he said, you know what, Pastor Mike, I, I think I've already made the decision. I said, well, I, I do want you to pray, but fine. But he says, I, I think I'm going to turn the job down, and I'm just going to have to, I, I believe God wants me to trust him uh, to be able to provide some other way. Was it one hour or two hours later? One hour later, he got a call from the, can I mention the place? Sanford Airport, and saying, we would like you to come in. Uh, they're very interested in hiring him. Um, I think it's, it's going to be for as much, if not more money or something like this. And it, we're going to be flexible with you. So tell us what you can work and what you can't work. And it was like, and, and he, he texted me or called me, whatever it was. And he said, Pastor Mike, listen to what happened. And I said, Josh, I just think that God, he knew this ahead. And he just wanted to say, Josh, are you willing in this little area of mine, to, to, of yours, to trust me and let me show you what I can do? And we've been praying this and praying this, and God blessed him. And, you know, we're, we, I guess we're going to wait and see exactly how all of this pans out, because maybe I'm sharing it too soon, I don't know, but I, I think it's timely. You know, when, we've been praying 24-7, right, church? Has that been going pretty well? I'll, let me confess to you, I missed my first time. See, I think I missed my first time. I went to bed earlier than I normally do. My prayer time is 11 to 11.30, and I, I was exhausted. I went to bed a little bit earlier than that. My alarm went off at 5 of 11, and I started to pray. It's just that I don't remember ending my prayer time. <laughs> Any of you that pray at night, I mean night-night, like morning-night, okay, early... Uh, has that been kind of hard for you? Yeah. Yeah, see, this is the type of sacrifice that we're talking about. And I just said, thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to pray from 11 to 1130 because my alarm goes off at 6 in the morning. And I, I'm just not that type of person. I mean, Mike Jeffords, you're amazing, dude. You can exist on three hours of sleep or three minutes of sleep sometimes. And it's like, man, how do you do that? 
And he says, oh, Pastor Mike, you just wait until I crash. But the, the reality is some of us aren't wired that way, and I'm not. And so I was just exhausted after this, you know, as this week is wrapping up. And uh, so, okay, that's my excuse anyway. It's not my age. It's just, uh, it, it was hard, you know. But as we're praying 24-7, I believe that God is, he's not just doing something in the way of revival. I believe God is doing something in our hearts, in our families, and all of these myriad of things that God purposely, let me put it so that the spirit of God purposely laid on your heart. And, and I'm, I'm going to even go so far as to say this, because it has to do with what we're going to talk about tonight. That the Spirit of God laid some unusual things on your heart to pray for. And it, it wasn't just the casual prayer that you pray in, in your regular daily prayer times. But God, I believe, laid some unusual things. Maybe people, not unusual people, but people on your heart. And you prayed for them in, in, in usual ways that maybe you hadn't prayed. The, the first night that I prayed, and I'm not sure I prayed this way before, God laid his burden on my heart to pray for the teens. And that there would be such an awakening in the teens. And, and in some of them where maybe there's the spiritual apathy. And you know, it's, it's hard, church. And let's understand this as parents that sometimes our teens, they look at you guys as parents and they say, man, I want this someday. And just right now, they're kind of moving in that direction, but their feet are cold, and, and they're not, maybe not moving too aggressively. Now, some of you teens, let me commend you, you, you're not just heading in that direction, you're sprinting in that direction. Kudos to you, that's awesome. And, you know, just this, what was it, the, uh, two Fridays ago, uh, they did a praise and prayer night, and uh, Stephen gave a little teaching, and then uh, Marlon Jenny Rose led in praise and prayer. And man, some of those teens just prayed passionately. And you can tell that the, in their prayer life, there's, they, they just have a rich prayer life. Man, I am so proud of you teens for what God is doing and stirring in your hearts. And I believe that God wants to see this happen throughout the teen ministry. And so that was just the burden that God had laid on my, on my heart. And for my, that first half hour, I guess this past Sunday night, uh, God had me praying for the teens. Can I ask you this? What does it look like when the Spirit of God does something like this? I want to talk about that. How many of you are familiar with that picture of a dad praying, he's kneeling beside the bed of his child and he's, he's praying over his child and behind him is a window and there is an angel and if I'm not mistaken with sword brandished and he is ready to do whatever demon comes against that household, he is ready to engage in warfare and kick some spiritual butt. You know what I'm talking about. You remember that picture. And as you look at it, for me for a, as, a, as a dad, the first time I saw that, it brought me to tears. Because I remember praying over my little ones just like that. And sometimes we just need a shock of reality of, in the spiritual, world, spiritual realm to show you when we pray, there are things that are happening that we are clueless on. Or clueless in. And as we move now to this concept of burdened prayer, specifically what it means to pray in the Spirit, I want us to 
to start here in Ephesians 6. We're going to be going over to Daniel and some other passages. But here in Daniel 6, I believe we begin to get this glimmer of what it means to pray in the spirit. And that it is, we are engaging in spiritual warfare in the spirit realm that we are, we are truly clueless or have very little understanding of. And in, in all reality, there is not a whole lot that the Bible teaches on this subject. And I'm going to say this for good reason. And I don't know what all the good reason is, but God purposely teaches only so much because that's all that he wants us to know. There's a lot of books out there about spiritual warfare and they go into all kinds of, excuse me to be blunt here, but crazy stuff. And there are some cautions that need to be exercised here. But what we do know is there to encourage us so that we are, we are steadfast in prayer. Because here's a reality. It is hard to pray about things we don't know. Or things, rather, that we do not see. Some people struggle with the relationship with God because they cannot see God. And yet we have the privilege of being able to experience him. And the more we do, the more I think prayer, things like prayer come alive to us. Or perhaps better, we come alive through prayer. But here's a spiritual check here as, as we look at this passage starting in verse, verse 12. He's talking about putting on the full armor of God in the previous verse. And he says this in verse 12. For our struggle, our wrestling match here, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, or let me translate it just a little bit more literally, <coughs> excuse me, against the world powers of this darkness, the world powers of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, or the heavenly realms, as the NIV says. Therefore, in view of this Warfare that we engage in says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness. <coughs> Excuse me, that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish every flaming or all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now let's understand something here. <coughs> that there is a spirit realm. He mentions four categories. And, and I think it's fair to say that these are categories. And I don't believe that anyone, any theologian fully understands these categories. But they are categories. Rulers. Authorities. These are demons. These are not angels. They're fallen angels or demons. Rulers. Authorities. They're a world ruler, excuse me, world powers or world rulers of this darkness. Those are demons, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
I think I've mentioned this before, but this concept of world rulers of this darkness, um, we're actually going to take a, a look at that in Daniel, but these world rulers, it's easy for us to look around our present physical world and see world rulers, you know, the various rulers of Russia and England and uh, our own America, Canada, Australia, etc. And throughout this world, there are world rulers. But when things don't go well for them, when ISIS continues to behead Christians, our struggle, church, is not against ISIS. It is not against uh, those, these world rulers that through the centuries have seriously persecuted the church. They are not against whom we fight. But our battle is against these spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. These world rulers that are the counterpart to the physical rulers. There are spiritual counterparts, spiritual rulers of this darkness. And that is against whom we battle. Now, it does not tell us how we engage them except by putting on the armor of God. Please note that you will find nowhere in scripture, though I believe in geographical spirits, evil spirits, it does not tell us that we are to cast them down. And I believe there are some leaders in our day that are realizing, you know what, we've been doing something, we've been doing a practice that there truly is no biblical support for. And as I have mentioned to you, there is only one way to engage those geographical spirits. And that is through the community of the church praying to God, send revival. And the community repents and the strongholds of darkness at that moment are broken. That is how we, in essence, cast down geographical spirits. There are spirits that rule homes. There are spirits that rule nations. There are spirits that rule people. Sometimes there are multiple spirits that rule people. But it is all in the kingdom of darkness that Satan rules, blinds the minds of unbelievers. And we are called to engage in battle. And today I want to focus on one element of that weaponry, if I could put it that way, though it's not worded as weaponry, that we engage the enemy. And, and actually, we are not the ones who are engaging the enemy. Our Lord Jesus Christ and his, uh, his angels are the ones that engage the enemy. We're going to see that when we come to Daniel. But prayer or praying in the spirit is not necessarily categorized as a weapon... It's almost as if in view of putting on this weaponry, now pray. <coughs> and we need to ask this question then. If prayer is so important, and when we seek God, and as I mentioned last week, maybe even the week before, we have the privilege of him actually yearning and calling us to turn his heart, even as Moses turned the heart of God... Even though God, uh, let me just say this, God is sovereign. And I've mentioned to you, the, the future is set, okay? Uh, the, the Terminator, that series, you know, the future is not set. That is unbiblical in every way. The future is not set. But from my perspective, since I don't know the future, I look to the future and in my mind it is not set. And so I pray 
in my limited understanding of the future, according to the present and past, because we don't know it. But in God's mind, it is. But God's purposes, though they are set, they are unfolding. And that is different. God's plans are unfolding. God's plan includes a people rising up, being stirred up from a sermon, from, from a book, from just the Spirit of God stirring them up to pray. And, and he, this is part of his unfolding plan. And it's, it's, it's interesting, we're not going to look at this passage, but in Exodus <coughs> excuse me, 32, God is going to pour out his wrath and he wants to destroy the people of Israel. But Moses intercedes. I mean, this God says, this is what I will do. And yet Moses has the audacity to stand in the gap for the people and say, surely God, you would not want to do this because we have left Egypt and it will only reflect on your name that you, you destroyed the very people that you released from slavery. God, have mercy upon us and forgive us this horrendous sin. And scripture says, and God turned. It's some translations say God repented. Certainly not because of his heart, but God changed his heart or changed his mind. Not as a man would change. See, this is part of God's unfolding plan. It was, let me word it this way, it was a setup for Moses and the people of Israel. God's heart, his unfolding plan was, Moses, I need you to stand in the gap for the people of Israel. And even so, I am encouraging us that as we grasp this concept of prayer, that we are standing in the gap, and as God is unfolding his purposes, we are actually, by our praying, engaging in this, uh, this great unfolding purpose of God. Okay, so back to this question, praying in the Spirit. What does this mean? Number one, let me just say, this is not praying in tongues. <coughs> this is not praying in tongues. This, and we know this is not praying in tongues. Number one, <coughs> excuse me, the, the concept of prayer with tongues is shown to us in 1 Corinthians 14. The preposition that's used there, though, is praying with my spirit. And this is praying in the spirit. We also know this is not praying in tongues because 1 Corinthians 14 says that when we pray in tongues, our spirit prays, but our mind is unfruitful. There are occasions as you pray in tongues, as you pray in the spirit or pray with the spirit, that you are, that, that God gives you an understanding of what you're praying and he can do this. It's just that's not usually the case. And that's Paul's point there. So he does say, hey, when you do pray with your spirit, pray in tongues, pray that God would give you an understanding or an interpretation of that. So my point here is that we pray with, when we pray with the spirit, our mind is unfruitful. We do not clearly understand what we're praying for. And if that's the case, then why does Paul give this instruction to pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests? If you don't know what you're praying, the Spirit is praying through you, then how do you even know what you're praying? So how can you even pray certain kinds of prayers and requests? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Paul is clearly communicating that this type of praying is engaging the mind 
And so he appeals to the mind. So when you pray, I want you to pray for, I want you to pray with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. First Corinthians, First Timothy 2, rather, he talks about praying for rulers and governors. And so it's all kinds of prayers, all people. And so I would have to say that in this particular passage, when he talks about praying in the spirit, he is not talking about praying in tongues. I don't believe either that he is talking about praying spiritually. <clears throat> that is praying with your heart. Though obviously when we pray we should. But I'm referring to that passage in John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. And he says those who are my true worshipers will worship me how? In spirit and in truth. The phrase that's used there is praying in spirit and praying in truth. <clears throat> he says pray in truth because he's talking to a Samaritan woman and the Samaritans had, had melded together the Jewish religion with paganism. They have what's called the Samaritan Pentateuch, but the rest of the scriptures do not reflect the scriptures of the Old Testament. And they would try to say that their religion goes all the way back to Moses, but that would not be true. It actually began shortly after 722 BC when the Assyrians came, ransacked Samaria, the northern kingdom, and took many Jews into foreign lands and took the foreigners and planted them in Israel. Now I've talked about this before, so I won't repeat myself. But this created a new religion, basically. And the Jews despised the Samaritans for this. They, they, they were worshipping, basically, another god. They worshipped on Mount Gerizim instead of in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And so Jesus is telling this woman, you need to worship in truth. You can't just worship whoever. When Muslims worship God, they do not worship in truth. They worship a different God. If they were to explain to you what their God was like, Allah, it would not line up with, our, with the God that's revealed in the scriptures in any way. Very little overlap, truly. And so now he says, <clears throat> not only worship in truth, but worship in spirit. Because the, the, even the Jews, as well as the Samaritans, their focus was the physical. Their focus was where we worship. Their focus was how we worship and all the rituals and such. And he says, my true worshipers will worship me in spirit. They're going to worship me with their hearts, not with the external things. But I don't believe that that is what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 6 either. Because it's not, it's not pray in spirit, it's pray in the Spirit. I don't believe he's talking about our own spirit, but God's spirit. So then, what other options are there? What does it mean to pray in the spirit? And as I have, as I have searched scripture, if I has, as I've studied this, I've come to a personal conclusion that this type of praying is done, in essence, he could have worded it this way, you need to be constantly led by the spirit when you pray. As we are led, as we pray, it should be our ambition, our goal to have the Spirit of God lead us. 
So how does he do this? How does he lead us? How can we be led by the Spirit as we pray? And, and I believe that, that many of us, maybe all of us, this past week in our 24-7 prayer, as we have sacrificed, because it's been hard, for some of you harder than others, but as we have prayed, we have truly desired and longed for the Spirit to lead us. And maybe at least in part it's because we're not used to praying for a half an hour. And God, if I'm going to fill up this half hour, you got to show me what to pray for. Right, church? And so we need you to show us how to pray. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 10. And I believe Daniel gives us some clues as far as what it means to pray in the Spirit. But... I believe he also shows us this concept that I mentioned in the very beginning. This idea of burdened prayer. God laying a burden on our heart by his spirit. And we pray in that burden or under that burden. Daniel chapter 10. In chapter 9, Daniel has <clears throat> come to the very end of the Babylonian captivity time, 539 B.C. It says in that chapter that Daniel understood from the scriptures from the prophet Jeremiah, a contemporary of his. Many years ago, <clears throat> Daniel, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah had prophesied that this captivity would last only 70 years. Daniel understands this, and we find him in this chapter, chapter 9, engaging in prayer, appealing to God, repenting on behalf of the people of Israel, that God would now turn his favor to Israel and release them. And it says that an angel came, specifically Gabriel, came to him in an immediate response to his prayer. And he unfolds the heart of God to Daniel. We now move into chapter 10. It is two years later. And it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel... ...who was also called Belteshazzar. Its message was true... ...and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message... ...came to him in a vision. Now this understanding of a message... ...coming to him in a vision... ...is something that he's about to talk about... ...and we actually don't get to that... ...until chapter 11. So that's coming. So this revelation... ...is given to him and it's about a great war... ...and it says in verse 2... ...at that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks... ...that's 21 days. So he has this revelation... ...that is referred to there as a, uh, a message... ...in verse 1... And in verse 14, it's also called a vision. It's, it's given to him, and, it, and it's, it disturbs him. 
It, it's a weight upon his shoulders. It weighs heavily upon him for 21 days. Now, what does he do in these 21 days? At that time, Daniel mourned for 21 days. I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And on the 24th day, so apparently it was the third day of the month, when God shared this revelation and it was a burden or a weight upon him, and he began this fast, which would be very similar to Daniel chapter 1 when he fasted. And it says on this 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen. And as this story unfolds, it is an angel. And as Daniel encounters this angel, it truly is overwhelming to him where the angel has to lift him up on at least two occasions because he's just overcome with this sense of terror in the presence of an angel. And, and, and isn't it interesting, church, that whenever a true angel of God appears to someone, almost all the time, the first words out of their mouths are what? Fear not. When a true angel of the Lord, and I say true angel of the Lord because there are many counterfeit visions that we have, even in our own day, in which supposed angels, and recognize that Satan comes as an angel of, a light, angel of light to deceive those, and there are many who espouse to these visions of angels, and they, these visions of angels many times begin to pervert the gospel. I can only wonder who truly it was that appeared to this person. Regardless, but when a true angel of the Lord appears, uh, just like with Daniel, there is this sense of terror and overwhelmingness so that when we read here in verse 7, it's, it's, it doesn't catch us by surprise. It says, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. They didn't see anything, but all they sensed was this, the terror of the Lord. Let me word it this way. The glory of God revealed in this angel in, as they were in its presence. They saw nothing, but they felt the terror and they hid themselves. Daniel became so weak, he eventually fell to the ground. After 21 days of fasting, I can understand this. But it was more than just physical weakness. It was this emotional... Um, Oh, being emotionally overwhelmed as well in the presence of this angel. Now look with me as you turn over to verse 12. <clears throat> the angel is speaking now and says, Then he, the angel, continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But let me, I'll, I'll continue with that passage a little bit later. So we know not only did he fast, but it talks about his words. He was praying for 21 days. He was praying. Isn't it interesting, in chapter 9, he prays, and he's not even done praying, and Gabriel shows up. I've got a message for you. But in this particular instance, and, and the reason is not revealed to us, but 
is he's overwhelmed with the the sense of a great war, which, by the way, unfolds in graphic detail for him in chapter eleven, which <laughs> which incredibly parallels the the Grecian war that eventually is followed by the Maccabean revolt in 168-165 BC. And I mean, I mean, if you ever have a chance to study chapter 11, it is truly amazing. It is so amazing that some liberal theologians, well, probably nearly all the liberal theologians, cannot handle the specificity of this chapter, chapter 11. And so they say this portion of Daniel, or maybe all of Daniel, was written after 165 B.C. There, there are numerous reasons, though, that would work against that, um, that I don't want to get into. But this is how compelling and how specific and graphic this great war is. And it burdens him. It's his people. And many will die as a result. But it takes 21 days for the angel to come to Daniel and respond and answer his prayer. And I can only imagine that his prayer was, God, I don't understand this message, this vision, this revelation of this great war. Could you please explain it? Could you please give me deeper understanding? And so that's what we see revealed in chapter 11. In chapter 10, it describes in verse 13, but the prince, or more literally the ruler of the Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes or chief rulers, we know him as Michael the archangel, came to help me because I was detained there with the king or king's of Persia. It's actually in the plural here. And you have to stop and ask, wait a second, did the king of Persia, Cyrus, detain this angel? And, and again, if we were to segue to Ephesians 6 in the New Testament, our understanding our, our, of that passage and therefore our answer to that question would have to be no. He, this is a spiritual engagement this is what we would call a geographic spirit. And I say geographic because he is a ruler of an area. Granted, a kingdom. Persia was a kingdom. And so if we want to use the term geographical spirit, okay. Just understand that he is a high-ranking fallen angel, a demon, that this particular angel is battling against. Now, it does not describe what this battle looks like. And I'll have to confuse, your pastor is, has very little understanding of what it means for an angel to do battle with a demon. What does that even look like? Because demons can't die. So how do they battle? What type of power are, are they, they, I mean, obviously there's, there's power, there's divine power, there's demonic power, there's authority. It, even to the point where in order for him to relay this message that came from God's heavenly throne and he is now the messenger to Daniel in order to get to him, he requires the help of Michael the archangel. And Michael the archangel, as we find out a little bit later, 
in, I lost my, my verse here. At the very end of the, the chapter, in my, my version NIV has it in parentheses, so that might help you, but it says, no one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Michael is the prince or the ruler, spiritual, angelic ruler of Israel. Or may I say it this way, the people of God. And it says in verse 1, and in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. That was two years ago. There is a spiritual battle, even to the point, for whatever reason, it takes 21 days. My point is this. There is a burden that was placed upon Daniel. That burden lasted 21 days. He fasted, he prayed, until God gave an answer. Now, I want to be careful here as we begin to segue now into application and some principles to glean from this. The result of him receiving this angelic visitation and God's response was scripture. I, I want you to just consider the weight of that right there. I would dare say that we do not experience that type of response from God's throne because no one here is going to start writing scripture as the result of an angelic visitation. Though I might say that one called Joseph Smith has done such a thing and produced what is commonly called the Book of Mormon. But the canon of, of, of scripture is closed and we should not be in, in, in any kind of... And I'm not opposed to angelic visitations, but church, let's realize that Satan can do this, but God as well. And so should such a thing happen, we should thoroughly test it with scripture because Satan's goal is to deceive, as it were, even the very elect. And we need to stand rooted in the word of God. How dare that we would listen to an angel and take up a pen and say, I am now writing the words of God tantamount to scripture and call it what you will. Joseph Smith called it the Book of Mormon. So I, I want to be careful because this is a unique visitation. Now, do you understand why then? And so in view of that, I want us to realize there are principles, though, that we can apply. Number one, there is a burden that is placed upon him. He mourns. Even as Nehemiah, when he <coughs> excuse me, heard the news that the walls of Jerusalem had fallen in Nehemiah chapter 1, he begins to pray and he begins to say, God, what can I do? And he, he feels... He feels stuck in his job because even though he is a high-ranking official in the court of the king of Persia, he realizes he's there. And what a fat chance, if you will, that he's going to be able to do any kind of help and go to Jerusalem. But he prays and he's mourning and, and he's, he's, he's seeking the face of God and he has this opportunity and he, he yields up as the king asks him, so why are you downcast? Because you are never to be downcast in the court of the king. It's an opportunity. And he gives up what I call a Nehemiah prayer. God help me. And that's all he has time for because now he's ushered into the court of the king. And okay, here's what's going on. 
And God sovereignly opens the door for him to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. That was a burden that God had placed upon his heart. God places burdens on our heart. So that's, that's principle number one. It is not an uncommon thing if we are to pray in the spirit for God to place an unusual burden on your heart. There are many times <clears throat> which years ago when I had a, a lawn business that I would be on my tractor and I would typically, there, there were at least one day a week I'd be on my tractor for eight hours in the day. Straight, eight hours straight. Okay, take a little lunch break, but eight hours straight on the tractor. And there would be sometimes hours of that eight-hour time in which the Spirit of God would start speaking to my heart and start, just in a very unusual way, burden my heart to pray for people. And, and I don't consider myself to have the gift of intercession. And some of you here, you have the gift of intercession. And so what I'm sharing with you right now is like, Pastor Mike, that happens to me like every day. Yeah. Um, like every time I get down on my knees, I feel this burden and I start weeping in prayer. For, I mean, that doesn't happen to me but uh, on a regular basis, but it does happen. And on these occasions, select occasions, there would just be this unusual burden. And I would pray for a situation or a person for hours at a time. Well, I'm just, I mean, driving a tractor. Um, wouldn't you say, Tim, it's kind of mindless work. you got to make sure you don't run into the tree so you don't want to go brain dead. But it, it, you're steering here and there, okay. And you can think. And it, so I, I enjoyed that aspect of, of lawn cutting. Um, and even nowadays, I don't do the lawn business, but I have a paint touch-up business. And sometimes, uh, even though I, I would say that does require quite a bit of skill, I've done it for so many years, it can be mindless at times. And while I'm prepping a bumper and doing this, that, or the other, God, even the entire day will lay some of you on my heart. And I will just end up praying for you the entire day that I'm, I'm doing paint touch-up. Or a situation that, I don't know why, but I just it's, it's like a weight and a burden that God places on my heart. And, and I would venture to say that many, perhaps even all of you, but many of you have experienced this type of burden. Some theologians call it travailing prayer, in which when you pray, it's, it's emotional, and it's, it's, it's this burden that you are yearning, God, do something, and, and do it now. There's this sense of urgency to it. Some months ago, as, as I was made aware of a situation, and I knew maybe that much of the situation, honestly, but throughout the course of the evening, my heart became more and more burdened. A tremendous weight. And, and by the, everyone else had gone to bed and I went and I locked up, turned out the lights and I'm heading up the stairs and I reached the top of the stairs and I shut the light off. And as soon as that light is out, God directly speaks to me and says, you need to pray. This is urgent. You have got to pray. And I'm just thinking, oh God, it's, it's, it's almost midnight and you want me to pray? Okay, it, but my heart is overwhelmed. It, in, in all honesty, it was easy to comply because I was, it, it, was, it weighed so heavily on my heart. But I just realized, oh God, please don't let this go too long. So lights out, everyone's asleep, and I go into the back of the homeschool room, into a recliner, and, and no, I wasn't about to fall asleep in the recliner, though I did kick it back on one occasion. 
Um, I just begin to pray about this situation. And as I'm praying, God begins to give me what I'm going to call a, a, a greater revelation or understanding of this situation. It, it's not because I've read more about it or heard more about it. God begins to give me some insights into the reasons why this problem is what it is. And as I pray, God makes it very clear, Mike, you need to go to this unbeliever and you need to bring him my word. And can I tell you right now that that word was a heavy word and it was a word of God's heavy punishment such that if you repented, I will be willing to make that punishment lighter. But if you do not, I will bring the full force of my fury upon you. Your pastor has never in all of his pastoring years, been asked by the Lord to do something like this. And as I'm praying, God keeps bringing that back to me. You need to go to him. And so I am in that homeschool room for two hours um, at many points in tears, just overwhelmed by what God is showing me and how I'm supposed to pray. And for me, it doesn't just have to deal with this unbeliever, but it, it's, it's much deeper. And it's, it's both, so I don't get into details, but it's, it's both that is overwhelming me. And God is beginning to reveal some things that I'm not used to him doing this. And I'm there in, for two hours in prayer and finally, this burden lifts from, from me. And the Lord allows me to go to bed. Thank you, Lord. But now I've got a charge. And I'm, okay, God, how do, I, how do I do this? And he begins to show me over the next few days. And eventually he shows me, you're, you, it's not a phone call, it's not a text. You're going to go to him. And you're going to meet him at his work and you're going to speak to him. Great. God, you're calling me to be a Christian stalker. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I like this. You want me to do what again? You want me to go to his work? And so I set up a time to do this and, and not to get into too many details. It's the Lord through some physical situations, shows me that that's not going to work. This person's actually going to get off earlier, and okay, so I'm not going to be able to do that. And, and I found out so late, I'm not going to be able to. So I'm calling my wife, and I say, you know what? Here's what's happened, and so I'm not going to be able to do this. And she says, Mike, just do it anyway. Just go there anyway. Maybe you didn't hear what I just said. He's getting off earlier. I, I can't make it now. He says, Mike, just, just do it. So I say, you know, okay. I make a phone call, and I find out that his schedule has changed, and he's actually getting off an hour later. So I wrap up my stuff. I go over there and speak to this young man for 20 minutes and he's totally open to what I have to, at least it appears what I have to say 
And I'm sharing this with you, obviously not going into too much detail, but to say this, that God wants his people, whether you feel comfortable with that burden on your heart or not, God is truly not concerned. What he is concerned about is your response. What is Daniel's response? There were, he, I would say there was a burden on his heart in chapter 9 and a burden on his heart in chapter 10. Both of these burdens were birthed from a clear understanding of, of, of the will and the heart and the revelation of God. The revelation in Daniel 9 was given through Dan, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah 70 years. Now, let me just share with you exactly how you calculate that 70 years would be unclear. If you've ever studied that 70 years, when it began, when it ended, it, it, it's a little nebulous when it actually begins, when it was supposed to end. But he is praying in the first year of, of Cyrus. And I would venture to say within months, the people of Israel were released and they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And God's answer to his burdened prayer of chapter 9, the, the answer was very soon, very quick. Not so in chapter 10. But not only did the answer come, but the angel gave him a response immediately. He wasn't even done praying. And, the, and God gave an answer. God, I'm going to word it this way. God released that burden from him. He had prayed long enough. Your job is done. My answer has come. But I'm going to tell you this, that this burden type of prayer, this travailing prayer that God will place on our hearts, you are, you're going to want to pray until he releases you from that burden. Because he has called you in praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit is praying according to the will of the spirit of God who fully knows the heart of the father. Let me, let me, I believe that many of us have been praying in the spirit because we understand that scripture speaks of a revival. It may happen in our generation, it may not, but we believe that there is a revival coming. It's going to sweep this world, the, the, this earth, and that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea. And can I say there are many nations in which there is absolutely or very little knowledge of God. And it's not just isolated pockets. It is huge. Missionaries call it the 1040 window. And, and it's huge. It encompasses nation upon nation who are in rebellion against their creator and either worship another god or not at all. And it is, it is spiritual darkness in which we're talking about Ephesians 6, rulers, authorities, world rulers of, of this darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly they're, they're prevalent. They're everywhere. So anyway, Daniel... Praise and on the occasion of chapter 10, the answer does not come right away, and this burden lasts for 21 days. And then finally, the answer comes. Now, this answer is, is generally speaking, not going to be the type of answer that God would give us. I'm not going to discount angelic visitations, the scripture speaks of them, and in, in, in Hebrews 13 says that. It, it's, this is something that has happened and will happen, but 
Obviously, caution should be exercised. And obviously, when the angel speaks, please don't pick up your pen and start writing it down. Let me add this to Revelation. But God will speak. God will lift that burden. But we need to pray until that burden is lifted. So the burden comes. Daniel fasts and prays in Genesis, excuse me, in Daniel 10 for 21 days, and then the answer comes. But in those 21 days, as a result, and I think it's going to be fair to say it this way, the result of Daniel's praying and fasting is now reflected in the heavenly realms in this battle that is now engaging and and i think that that the purpose that we see in daniel 7 is to connect to these daniel is praying he's burdened and he has come in the angel has come in response to daniel's praying and fasting and but he is engaged in spiritual warfare now as you have prayed this past week to some degree whatever that might be to some degree you have engaged in spiritual warfare and for some of you, maybe even, and I'd be interested in knowing, but maybe God has given you a little picture of what that warfare looked like. And God will do this to encourage us and show us that there is, there is really deeper issues at stake here. You, you see the surface. You, you see the, the boss or the other rulers or, or the, the neighbor or whoever you might feel that you're praying for, maybe is even against you, is, an, is your enemy... But really what lies behind it is this, this demon that is stirring them up. And you're praying for them. And maybe God might have given you a little picture. But only to show you that what we are engaging here is so much beyond what we can understand and comprehend. And I think for this reason God chooses to show us just, just a little bit of what's going on. Because our purpose is not to, to have the demons and the angels and all of this. And books honestly have been written about commissioning angels. Church, please do not commission angels. I'm going to challenge you. Don't do this. We are not the ones who commission angels. That was a very popular teaching years ago. But we engage in the spiritual warfare in prayer. That is our responsibility. That is our burden that we bear. It is God, the sovereign Lord of heaven's job to commission the angel as he desires. And as we do this, God, through his angels, fights these battles. And Daniel is pictured here just in, in his praying and in all of whatever happens in the spirit realm as a result, again, we just see the connection. That's all that we see, a connection. And God brings a response. But we do know that as he prayed, God did what he prayed. I have come in response to your words. Let me just give three quick things here that, number one, I mean, the question is, how do we receive this burden to pray? I think if we look at Daniel, Daniel was a man to whom God could entrust his heart. 
you see this. God knew that if he gave Daniel a burden to pray, Daniel would pray. So I, I want to ask you, in all fairness, should God give you a burden to pray? Would you give an excuse? And in all honesty, I can see myself sometimes giving an excuse. God, you really caught me at a bad time here. Or, you know what, God? I'm about to go to bed right now. Or, God, maybe you don't understand the full circumstances here because you want me to pray about, really, pray about this? And it's just so easy for us to give excuses, isn't it, church? But when God brings that burden for you to pray, and, and maybe some of you have a prayer closet, much like in, in War Room, you've got a prayer closet, and God actually calls you to get down on your face and assume a posture that is laid out in total submission to him to seek his face and pray and allow that burden to weigh upon your shoulders until he releases it, but we pray. So number two, not only does God want to do this for those who are yielded to him and he knows he can entrust this burden to, but we will pray, plain and simple. We will respond in prayer. And if so, we will even pray and fast. Because we understand the gravity of the weight of this situation. God, the Spirit is laying this on my heart and, he's, and, and I'm wrestling and he's not releasing me of this. Maybe it's because he's wanting you to engage in serious warf, spiritual warfare and prayer. Again, not casting down geographical spirits. I'm talking about engaging God and pleading to our God in heaven to send revival. And maybe you're, you're praying, God, do it in my home. Let it start here. Let it start with me. Do something here, God. And so as you, as you pray, you are, you are responding to this. And you are willing to submit to this type of praying. And, and I'm going to say that there would be other types of praying in the Spirit. But this particular type of, of burdened prayers is God revealing this will of the Spirit or this, the the Spirit revealing the will of the Father to us to pray and travail in prayer as he would lead us until it lifts. And can I say 21 days, my goodness. 21 days of that burden on his heart, heavy. He was, Daniel was patient. He waited upon the Lord. Daniel doesn't know that God's going to send an angel. He did that in two years before in chapter 9. But who's to say God's going to do that again? So I would have to say he is not praying until, an, until he has an angelic visitation. He doesn't know this is going to happen. But he will pray. And he will pray until God releases that burden. And he released that burden through an answer that we see here in chapter 10. But not... Until then, he prays until God does this. Church, I want us to realize something as I, I close here. We may very well be living in that last generation or the generation before the last before Christ comes. But that generation that literally sees the kingdom of darkness swallowed up by the kingdom of light. It, 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 the scripture makes it clear it will never fully happen where 
Satan will be completely defeated. No, not until the very end of the age. We know this. But until the leaven leavens the entire lump, the gospel influences and affects and impacts all society, the whole world. This is coming. And I've shared with you numerous, you're in, in the sermon series, Your Kingdom Come, that there are numerous scriptures that refer to this in the church age in which Christ will rule from sea to sea. What if God were right now be raising up a generation that is willing to assume this burden and pray in the spirit until that burden is lifted to be willing to be men and women like Daniel who are willing to travail and pray and seek the heart of God until he acts on our behalf, until he moves so powerfully in our nation that strongholds in our nation are torn down because the people of God are repenting. Because that is how it happens. We looked at Acts 19, the, the revival in Ephesus. We don't see Paul casting down geographic. We see repentance. We see things happening. And as a result, it's, it just ignites like a fire in that city. What if that were to happen in our day? Not just a city. But one city after another. A nation after a nation. Until it, it's like the globe lighting up like a Christmas tree. What if? God's people, for this to happen, would need to respond now in prayer. God's people would have to understand that they need to repent. That we would need to repent, that heads of our homes, that we would need to repent, that it needs to be more than just lip service. It has got to be something from the heart because that is what praying in the Spirit begins with, but it is being led by the Spirit and how, and as he leads you, would you be willing as parents to truly repent, not just with words, but with actions, such that your families are revolutionized by the truth of God's word, that you're allowing God's truth to truly revamp the way you do family. And, and if families do this, the moms and dads take the true responsibility. I was sharing with one lady this just this afternoon. When, when, when moms and dads truly take this responsibility of discipling their children, and we see a new generation raised up, and maybe it's this generation that becomes those prayer warriors that God, in response, ushers in such a revival. I want to make sure that my life has not been wasted, but that I have been poured out, as Paul says, like a drink offering, first and foremost in my children, moms and dads. This is what we must do. And as I was sharing with this lady, I, I, I was just sharing it because the... the the Making of Real Men was, was published, and so I was mentioning that book and Meredith's and my book about um, uh, real men talk about girls and dating and marriage and such, and just the importance of discipleship. And I said, until the church gets this, 
and really takes on that responsibility. And not just in pockets, but the church of Jesus everywhere gets this. We're not going to see this revival. It's got to start in, in, in children's hearts turning to their fathers. That is the very last word that's given in Malachi. After that word of God turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and children to the fathers, what you see next is the proclamation of Jesus Christ and the revelation of Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit, and this process beginning of the ends of the earth being reached in the book of Acts. Do we not think that it's significant that, that before this gospel and this outpouring of the Spirit happens, this challenge, fathers repent and turn your hearts to your children so that your children's hearts would be turned to you, that the family is getting it right. And when that happens, then and only then will we see such revival in the gospel truly spreading as it should. And, and whatever I said to her, and I didn't word it exactly like that, but whatever I said, and just what is really God's purpose for the church? I, I went away, I think I ate lunch, and when I came back, Meredith and Aisha were praying over this woman, and she was just in tears. And, and I said, wow, what did you guys pray about? And she says, you know, I, I think they just want to, they really want to be linked arm in arm with fellow Christians that really take discipleship seriously. And she shared some of the tragedies that she had been through and with their children and with other teens, nieces, and, and such. And I, I thought it was so awesome that, that God used Meredith and Aisha to really minister deeply with this, with this lady. But church... We're on the right track when we are praying for revival and God's spirit to be poured out first and foremost upon us that our families get it. And we understand the sacrifice that needs to happen in training the next generation and, and that we pray with such a burden and we don't stop praying until he answers that. That is praying in the spirit. That is what God is calling us to. Can you stand with me? Church, let the spirit of God burden your heart. it is so easy to take prayer so lightly it is so easy to walk in the natural and have eyes that see things in the natural and I fear God that your church that even myself we truly do not understand what it means to be burdened with prayer 
And so, God, I'm humbly asking you, please give us a greater understanding. But please, God, we don't want just knowledge. We have too much knowledge and so little obedience. God, please give us obedience. May we respond to this burden. May us as dads and moms, may we respond. As we pray over our children at night and the, the host of heaven holds off the demons of darkness. We pray a hedge of protection up around our family. But God, do we really seek you and travail and pray for this? Father, I just think sometimes we're just too casual. I'm too casual. Teach us rightly. Burden our Pray through a Spirit of God. Move us. God even goes to, to the extent of where you block every path so that we can only pray. But may we pray, God. And God is, as we're learning, like infants, toddlers learning to walk. As we pray and as we start doing these hard things, God, would you please be so gracious as to respond with such vast compassion and love, such an outpouring of your grace, such that, God, if we're if we're burdened for prayer, for healing, that you heal. That if you burden our hearts for my lost neighbor, that God, you would rescue him. That you would burden our hearts for the neighborhoods around us, that we would see an unusual, unprecedented move of your spirit, God. dispatch the angels, God. You destroy the works of darkness. You do this, God. As we travail in prayer, teach us to walk. Be patient with us, God. I don't know if we could pray for 21 days like Daniel, but God, surely we could pray for So I ask God, as we pray, incline your heart to us, Father. Turn your ear to us, God. Hear from heaven. Heal our land, our homes, our schools, our businesses that are so unethical, our, our political system that is beyond corrupt.
Jesus' name, oh God. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have an awesome, awesome week. We'll look forward to seeing you Wednesday.